Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now let's get wild. Not creating that welcoming space is is the opposite of what we want to do. Like we want to make this a happy space and a friendly space and a place where everybody feels included and welcomed. And part of that is, you know, if you are that kind of personality that says hi to everyone, say hi to everyone. And if there are multiple people out there, then yeah, you kind of do the like Mr. Mayor thing and you say hello to everybody. Um, but I think there's a big difference when you say hi to just people who look like you, then the person who does not look like you, they can see that and they know that and it makes it, uh, it creates a really negative experience to, you know, further perpetuate the feeling of this isn't a space that I belong in. Hello and welcome back once again to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 76, Diversity and Inclusion in Conservation and Outdoor Recreation. Now, today I'm going to be talking with a couple volunteers for the uh, Latino Outdoors. I'm going to be talking with Claudia Pineda-Tibbs and Johnny Gonzalez. Uh, Claudia is a member of the advisory board. She also works at the Monterey Bay Aquarium in California, uh, where she's basically leading sustainability efforts and helping to make ocean conservation more culturally relevant and inclusive. And Johnny is a volunteer for the Latino Outdoors chapter in Salt Lake City. Uh, He has a passion in entomology and uh, outdoor recreation. And he really um, helps get people involved in outdoors uh, through his work at a natural history museum in Salt Lake City. And these two, this conversation you're about to hear, these two are the type of outdoor people that I want to be around. Uh, They're both passionate about uh, being in the outdoors. Uh, They're also passionate about trying to uh, instill that love of the outdoors in other people uh, around them. And we're going to, going to be talking about basically why it's important to get a wide range of people with different backgrounds involved in conservation and how we can do that by getting them involved with outdoor recreation activities. Uh, you know, this is just dipping our toe into the conversation uh, that basically... Um, I had, uh, you know, shared some of my thoughts about getting uh, people who don't look like you uh, into the outdoor space, uh, specifically hunting. And uh, this is just dipping our toe into that concept. Expect uh, a little bit more uh, about this as we move through this year. So I don't want to give away too much. So let's just dive right into the conversation. And uh, this is what uh, I had to talk about with Johnny and Claudia. Okay, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode, and I have uh, two very wonderful guests, as I've just recently sort of met them. Uh, We've talked a little bit off air before this, and um, I really am excited for the message we're going to be getting across in this episode. Uh, So I have uh, with me Johnny and Claudia. Uh, They are both 
uh, prominent members of Latino Outdoors that is doing some great work that you heard in the intro. Uh, so Claudia and Johnny, how are you two doing today? Good, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, doing well. Uh, thanks so much for the invite, Jason. Absolutely. Uh, back about a year ago, uh, as I sort of mentioned off air, I gave a uh, quick talk at a local church that was holding an outdoor event, and uh, it was based around hunting. And the idea uh, of my talk was we need to get more people involved in hunting. Uh, but today we're going to expand a little bit more on what I talked about in, in one of the previous episodes uh, where I mentioned this talk. And I want to expand it away from just hunting, but more into just outdoors and conservation in general, that we need to get more people involved with that. And as a very quickly becoming middle-aged uh, white male, uh, it was very, that came from an outdoor family. It was very easy for me to fall in those footsteps, but it's not always that easy uh, to get uh, people from different backgrounds to be involved. So um, this question, I guess, is for both or either whoever, um, how, how can we, or how important, let's start with this, how important is it that we diversify the backgrounds of the people that are involved in conservation and outdoor activities? To me, it's a huge factor because I frequently think about the voices we are not hearing and the perspectives we are not viewing at all. Um, we think about places we hope to conserve and we wonder who are we conserving them for? How do they want to get used by the communities that are near these areas? Um, and frequently throughout history, we see various communities excluded from that. And that completely changes things. Like if you don't hear a voice, how do you know how to act? How do you know what people really want to conserve? What people value in a, an environment? Um, I think it's just, for me, a big matter of wh what about the voices we aren't hearing? How do they feel about policies? How do they feel about research and conservation science? Yeah, I'm going to echo everything Johnny just said. And um, one of the key words that he just mentioned right now are, is policy. And that's something that's really important to the work that I do, um, because a lot of the policies that we're seeing being enacted or proposed do focus right now a lot on environmental justice and ensuring that there is access to those outdoor spaces for all people, um, you know, marginalized communities who haven't been represented in the environmental movement, as well as, um, you know, the connection to climate disparity, climate change, and access to these outdoor spaces um, is really important when you make that policy connection because having these experiences in nature foster a, sen a sense of inclusion, but it also fosters a sense of belonging. Um, you know, being able to see yourself represented in the outdoors and uh, have that connection. Um, for myself, when I'm in the outdoors, I feel like I'm in another world and having that connection in nature um, makes me not only appreciate the space that I'm in, but it makes me want to care for it. And when that translates to supporting policies that protect those ecosystems, those public spaces, 
then we can really ensure that there is truly that access for all people. You know, it's funny, as we're recording this uh, over Zoom, you mentioned the different feeling and the different headspace you get from being outdoors. And both Johnny and I started shaking our heads. Yeah, like there's a different mental um, tranquility almost whenever uh, you get outdoors. I, I have to... I, I have to ask when you when you mention um, different voices, Johnny, um, contributing to how the resources are used or conserved. Do you think, or do you feel, or do you know uh, these other voices that aren't heard? Are they thinking differently than how than what's being made now? Like the changes that are being made now, or the decisions are being made now, or is it maybe just little changes or like big wholesale wide changes? I think that that'll change depending where you are in the United States. So I can speak for myself here in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, overall, I guess one thing I think about even just for myself, I think of what I could really own in my life, which is really not going to be much, I'll be honest about it. And so I think about the value of public lands and keeping public lands safe, um, which admittedly is a different viewpoint for different legislators in Utah. Um, so I think of the voices that really do want to protect a lot of public lands and even more voices that want to amplify that, that are just not being heard. They're not recognized as constituents trying to also support that message. It's a widely white demographic that is uh, leading a lot of these voices. And there are more voices that simply aren't being heard. So when we're, we're taught this whole topic of, of trying to increase diversity um, within the outdoor and conservation space, why is it important? Why now do we all of a sudden see the need? And I understand that some of it might be um, societal changes as well. Um, but what is what, what makes including a more diverse set of backgrounds How's that going to benefit outdoor recreation and conservation? So I would say that, um, you know, one of the reasons why it is so important to increase diversity in the outdoors is because people can see themselves in those spaces. And myself, I do consider myself a birder. I, I identify as a birder. And um, when we were talking offline just a little while ago, you had made mention of the incident that has happened in the birding community. So let's say his name, Christian Cooper, he was basically harassed for asking a woman, a white woman to put her dog on a leash because her dog was supposed to be on a leash in Central Park, New York. And when, your skin color becomes a threat to somebody who does not look like you, that's a red flag, that's a problem. And the birding community, at least where I am in, uh, in Monterey, California, it is very white. It is very, very old as well. And so I can talk about an experience that I had a few years ago when I went to my first birding festival which was the best time of my life. And there were about 300 people there. And two of my friends and myself, we were, 
probably three out of five people of color in that entire 300 um, participant number. And we had a lot of comments coming our way, like, where are you from? No, no, but where are you really from? And people trying to talk to me in Spanish. And by talk, I mean, practice their Spanish from high school. And, um, you know, creating that sense of othering really makes it so that people either do not want to come back and experience um, that recreational uh, activity again, because it was a negative experience, or for some people, it kind of makes them want to be out there more so that others can see themselves reflected in that representation. And so, you know, when it comes to recreation, mountain biking, birding, hiking, whatever it is, tide pooling, um, just being somebody who is out there and taking that position of this space also belongs to me. Um, and I should feel comfortable in this space sometimes has to be, has to come from more than just that intrinsic value and that intrinsic motivation to make you want to be out there. Sometimes you have to, um, not necessarily be invited. That's not the word I want to use, but you have to really, um, have some barriers removed for you. And some of those barriers might be cultural barriers or socioeconomic barriers, um, but, it's, but it can sometimes be challenging. And, and again, it's really an, an opportunity for people to, to step up and say, as Johnny mentioned, whose voices aren't being represented? What faces don't I see here in these spaces? And um, you know, if you are a person of privilege, just asking yourself, what can I do to make the outdoors more inclusive for other people who don't look like myself? But, so you bring up barriers there. And, and Johnny, you're a chapter volunteer. You, you're coordinating programs to get more people into the outdoors. I mean, what, you, if you could answer one of these two questions, or maybe the answer is the same, either what are the barriers and or what do you do to remove those barriers? Because I don't see barriers to the outdoors, right? I look at a woodlot or a field and if I can access it either because it's public land or, you know, private land that I have access to or the public has access to, I don't feel at, at never once have I ever felt unsafe or unwelcome in that arena in the outdoors because I see myself there all the time, right? I, or other people that look like me and other people have similar backgrounds. So what barriers are out there and, and or how do you solve those barriers? Yeah, and this is definitely a deep question. So I'll just speak from my own personal experience from my own family as an example. And maybe this echoes for others in the United States, but I think of my own mom and she came from El Salvador and where she grew up, she was, uh, she was, working on a farm, essentially. She spent a lot of time outdoors and not because she wanted to, that's what she had to do to live and exist. So when she got to the United States, one of her first thoughts, which was, I need a roof over my head, was first those resources, that money is going to just existing. So you don't even have the resources or time to think about spending time outdoors, for example, which goes into the next thought she spent so much of her life outdoors unwanting to, why on earth would she want to go back outdoors for recreation? So 
you know, it's like you spend so much of your hard work just to keep that roof over your head. Why would you want to get rid of it to go spend time outdoors, right? Um, so that carries on. I'll say that because for me, I would say my first major hike was when I was 18, which perhaps is a shock to some of your listeners. Um, when I look back at it and where I am now, it's almost a shock to me. Like my own daughter, she's been hiking at the age of two. So it's interesting thinking of that generational gap and what perhaps um, immigrant families went through and how that translates to their children. Um, that's a big starting point to think about. You think about, um, even just as you mentioned, you go hunting, everything that you need to go hunting. Like, do I have the money to fork out for a gun? Do I have the money to fork out for bullets? Do I have the money to fork out for camo? That's something that I think about because imagine you're in a position where you're making minimum wage. Imagine you're in a position where you just feel you don't have the resources to do that. You're just trying to buy food. That is a big barrier to entry. Um, thinking about ways to eliminate that, it's um, really, to me, it really involves reaching out to others in the community and being able to say like, hey, let's find common ground where we see each other as Latinx people, where we can go to a place together, connecting people to people, and for certain activities, even sharing resources that maybe others don't even think about. Like, how do you even know where to start if say you're my mom, you're new to this country and you just have no idea. How could you even go from there to backpacking, right? Um, it's, it's a whole lot. It's a big, deep question. Um, I'd love to hear from Claudia too, if she's having some thoughts on this. Yeah, thank you for sharing that experience, Johnny. My parents are also from El Salvador, so Salvi pride over here. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I have to agree with you about is that immigrant experience and coming to this country for the first time, what am I supposed to be doing on the weekends? Or I hear people talking about these places that they're visiting. Um, and I know that for myself, when I was growing up, I, um, didn't have a lot of experiences in nature in the United States. And even though my parents are from Central America, we would spend our outdoors in Baja, California, because, uh, you know, I'm in California and I grew up in Southern California and my parents just always felt more comfortable um, in Baja. And so um, I think they just felt more at ease. They felt like they weren't being othered. They had people that looked like them. So we spent a lot of our ocean time in Ensenada and en Tijuana. Um, and uh, I would say that one of the experiences that I've been very privileged to have is to be an informal educator. Um, and when I used to work in a previous job um, with the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, there was a bilingual program that I used to work with. And we would do outreach to the adult schools in the area where we had uh, immigrant farm workers or migrant farm workers who were learning English after they were in the fields. And uh, we'd come in and do some, um, you know, English as a second language presentations to talk about ocean conservation and ocean conservation topics. And um, 
then we would invite them to join us for a family experience on a weekend um, when we knew that there was a little bit more availability in their schedule and on uh, major holidays where they were probably going to have the day off. Um, so we would host bilingual hiking events at a local nature preserve. Uh, we paid for the whole experience. We would also have bilingual kayak tours for the families and they didn't cost them anything. So a lot of times, you know, those barriers can be financial barriers, but they could also be linguistic barriers um, or barriers just to, you know, not really sure where to go um, and how to navigate this new country or this new community in some cases. Um, so I would say that anybody who is an outdoor enthusiast or somebody who recreates outdoors can um, maybe just ask their, their boards or um, even some of the committees that are there to ensure that there is that public representation, you know, what they're doing to outreach to um, disenfranchised communities or communities not always represented in the outdoor movement, because that is going to be a, a big indicator about, um, you know, what strategies they have or they're hoping to have um, in place so that they can, they can remove those barriers for people. Okay, so I think that is great advice. My question is, as someone who um, is perfectly fine with whoever wants to be outdoors, come outdoors, right? Man, woman, transgender, racial ethnicity, I, whatever. I don't care. If you're outdoors, I'm happy because you're not sitting in front of a TV doing a whole lot of nothing with your life. Um, experiencing the outdoors, I think, is uh, the greatest thing that, that someone can do to clear their mind and their soul. So as someone who has no issue with that, how do I approach someone else who looks like me that complains or does not like people from another background encroaching, for lack of a better term, onto you know, their activity um, and, and what they're doing? Because it's something, and I ask this because it's something that, that we've seen in the hunting community as more women are getting involved in the hunting community, a lot of old timers, um, I apologize to anyone who this cuts at them, but at the same time, I don't apologize. There's a lot of, you know, older white males who feel like, hey, you know, I don't need these women around. This is a man's thing, right? Um, that a woman shouldn't be at our deer camp, for example. How do I, how do I try to convince them that this is a good thing for the outdoor community to have greater diversity and backgrounds? That is such a great question. And, you know, as a woman myself, I definitely feel as though there is this opportunity just to, to really seek to understand and to ask some questions about, well, why do you feel that way? Or um, just kind of getting people to disclose that information a little bit more and to create that space for dialogue, because um, in some cases, it might be that people are having um, thoughts that might not be entirely or, you know, factual um, in terms of 
why there are people who don't look like them in these in these spaces or they're being encroached on by people who, um, you know, maybe back in the day, um, we didn't have these kind of people here. And, and I think it's really that keyword, these kind of people and what, what does that actually mean? Um, so I would say that just engaging in dialogue is really important. And um, just kind of being able to share that perspective, they're gonna listen to you way more than they're gonna listen to me because you are a trusted figure. Um, you're Although, somebody who, yeah. Just to jump in real quick, they sure. shouldn't. They should listen to to you more than me because you have firsthand experience um, as a person not traditionally in this space, right? Um, but okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and thanks for saying that. And and that's the thing is that sometimes sometimes that's that's true for some people who are already a little bit more open their their window is open maybe a bit more to that um to listening to the perspective of others and there are some who don't um have that window open maybe it's just like open a crack a little bit um but it's it's truly just engaging in that dialogue and kind of asking um asking that question and you know if there's an opportunity to also talk about the really great things that people have been able to do on behalf of maybe other industries um, besides recreation when there is that diversity um, it really enriches the um, the entire fabric of our makeup and having people who have different perspectives and maybe who are you know in your case with hunting um, hunting in a way that maybe brings in approaches or techniques that people hadn't thought about. Maybe they're doing things that are more sustainable. And I think about um, here in terms of our space in the ocean, um, we have people foraging for seaweed when a very long time ago, people were foraging for abalone and they were decimating the population. Um, so being able to also look at how different types of organisms might be used for, um, you know, nutrition um, rather than like the traditional protein sources allows for more people to be out there recreating and foraging for um, or harvesting for, for ocean food um, in a way that truly is more sustainable and it brings in culture and it ties in culture as well. Um, so it's definitely a hard question to answer. I've been thinking about it. Um, for me, I think it's a big learning point for you and the person you're communicating with about their own views. And I think that's a big starting point, like hearing them out, what is, like, what is their reasoning for how they feel? And I think that's a big learning point, hopefully for them too, to say aloud their thoughts and really think about that. I think that's a great point to start asking them the probing questions like, well, why do you feel maybe women don't belong in this space? Why do you feel communities of color don't belong in this space? Really, hopefully get them to see and say what they're feeling because they might hopefully start to feel like maybe there's something wrong about what they're saying. Like maybe there's just something that once you hear out your thoughts, you think, okay, maybe this is <laughs> kind of messed up when I say it aloud. So hopefully it's a place to welcome conversation, not point a finger and blame, but to welcome a conversation and say, 
What can we both learn from this about each other? How can we grow? Can opinions change? I think that's a big, big starting point. No, I, I think that's very well said on, on both of your accounts. Um, and I, if I'm completely honest, I have to say there was a point in my life whenever I didn't want to see other people, you know, coming in, you know, especially in the hunting world. Like I didn't want to see other people because then, you know, that's less area for me to roam around was my reasoning. Um, but I've since, after verbalizing some of my concerns and, you know, not just thinking them, but verbalizing, started to think like, that's not the way I should be going about life. I, I should be encouraging more people to enjoy something that I enjoy. Um, and that's led me down this road of trying to uh, be as best of a voice or at least have a platform that allows voices like yours to um, talk about, you know, some of the challenges that, that people face um, and why it's important to include diversity and inclusivity. It's also a big point when you think about the relevance of something like a field. You think about hunting and hunting numbers, how many hunters there are. Um, if you want that to continue to be relevant, it needs to include more people. That's the fact of it. If it's gonna be irrelevant at some point because you're being exclusive to any communities, then you have to look back you know, 20 years from now and say, oh, maybe we should have been more inclusive about this. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, you're seeing that right now. I, I keep going back to hunting because that's what I'm, you know, most involved in. But I mean, hunting really had a, a big boom after World War II, when you know a bunch of, you know, young white males came back from the war and and had access to firearms, and that was the activity they chose to do. And now that they are starting, you know, that segment of the population is aging out. And okay, numbers are going down. Why? Well, we've excluded anyone else from participating in this not not directly excluded but indirectly excluded and we're seeing some of the ramifications from that um, now i want to jump ahead here i want to say let's say i want to put up a scenario here where we've had some success someone from a different background than me is participating in an outdoor activity whether it be hiking hunting i i see them fishing whatever it is i see them they're out recreating i'm recreating is it i'm asking this because it might have been a faux pas that i've i've been doing i'm a very verbal person i like interacting and meeting new people i've gone up to people um women that i've seen hunting and i talk to them i interact with them um should I be doing that? Should I not be doing that? Should I just like, you know, cause I mean, I, like I know me, like if I don't want to talk to someone, I don't really want that person to come and talk to me. Like I don't want them to feel uncomfortable because I'm walking up to them to talk to them. Um, you know, so how should I handle that? That's, that's a really interesting question. Um, and I would say it's interesting from my experience as somebody who's hiked by myself and I'm never really nervous when I see one white man approaching me. Uh, I usually get nervous when I see like three of them coming toward me. And um, 
yeah, it can be really scary. And I would say that for you, it sounds like you're just being friendly and wanting to welcome people into the, into the space and, and, um, you know, depending on who it is, I think if it's a woman, maybe from like a distance, you can say hello, um, rather than get like so close. Um, but I think that if you were to see maybe like a family saying hello with a big old smile is going to make a big difference for them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of want to say that not creating that welcoming space is, is the opposite of what we want to do. Like we want to make this a happy space and a friendly space and a place where everybody feels included and welcomed. And part of that is, you know, if you are that kind of personality that says hi to everyone, say hi to everyone. And if there are multiple people out there, then yeah, you kind of do the like Mr. Mayor thing and you say hello to everybody. Um, but I think there's a big difference when you say hi to just people who look like you, then the person who does not look like you, they can see that and they know that and it makes it, uh, it creates a really negative experience to, you know, further perpetuate the feeling of this isn't a space that I belong in. So what I hear is, um, temper my enthusiasm to just jump right in and sort of assess the situation, right? Say hi. Um, and then, you know, if they seem like they might be willing to talk or even ask them, you know, how their day's going and, and, that, and then try to slowly build into a conversation as opposed to what I typically do, which is just dive right in because I'm a talker and I like talking to other people. I get that from my father. But I mean, Johnny, do you have any other way that I could um, help ensure that I'm making other people around me feel a little more comfortable joining me or being in that same outdoor space as me. Yeah, you touched on something I was thinking about of like first assessing the situation. It's gonna be different each and every time, right? Um, one of the things that sticks out to me though as a talking point is talking about the hobby you're enjoying. So like, especially if you're hunting, for example, um, including that other person who in a way might feel othered to begin with, um, but including them and helping them feel like they're the expert at that hobby. Like you can be equals in this hobby and being able to talk about it, being able to share stories about it. Um, again, maybe you have to do it at a distance. Maybe you have to do it not to the level you want, but open up and share like the fact that you are sharing the same hobby, that you both have expertise in this and being able to listen to another and help them feel like they're actually not only an expert in this, but welcome here. Other hunters, for example, are talking to them about hunting. So help them feel welcome that way. Well, this has been great. Um, I know this is short and uh, just as an introduction to everyone of this concept. Um, so I wanna thank both of you for coming on and sharing your experiences and ways that um, you know, we can help be a little more diverse and inclusive and definitely giving me um, some different perspectives to think about, about how I interact with other people in the outdoors. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for making the space for us to just come and have a conversation together. Yeah, thanks so much, Jason. This was so much fun and I'm not gonna lie, I'm really interested to learn more about the hunting community because I'm fascinated now about what that is what that life is about.
that'll do it for today's episode. Uh, I really want to thank Johnny and Claudia for coming on. This was this was awesome. Um, I'm definitely coming at this topic uh, with a little bit of ignorance. Uh, I, I have to admit, uh, I have surrounded myself with some great friends, uh, but those friends are a product of the region that I live in and the activities that I do, which is, uh, you know, friends that are predominantly white males. Uh, I gave a talk back in February of uh, 2020, uh, right before all the whole COVID thing, uh, at a wild game dinner at a local church. And in that talk, I mentioned, you know, the, the, not just mentioned, the whole talk was around how we can sort of change this decline in hunter numbers uh, and what we can do individually. And my main topic, uh, my main reason that of why how we can change this is we need to invite people that we otherwise wouldn't invite uh, to come hunting with us. And that can be extended to all aspects of the outdoors. Um, it's, in, you know... It might sound a little a little crazy uh, to some people, but it's a little bit intimidating. You know, thinking of just asking someone that maybe you don't know uh, too well, uh, or you're not sure if they're even going to enjoy it. But you know, you don't know unless you ask. And you know, last year uh, I you know asked my coworkers, uh, and you know I was someone was. Uh, within my school district was all about he wanted to learn how to hunt and you know unfortunately another uh borderline middle-aged white male um but it's still one right and that's one in the right direction uh so i fully plan on continuing to try to offer uh my knowledge as limited as it may be at times um and, and you know my passion with other people who have an interest in, in being outdoors so, you know, like I said, I come at this from a little bit of ignorance, but that's a, a product of, um, you know, my environment. And I feel a responsibility that, you know, even if I can't, if I don't have access to, uh, you know, minority groups um, or anything outside of, you know, minority and outdoors, just women is about the only access I have. Uh, you know, as, as far as offering up uh, these experiences, if I don't have that easy access uh, that other areas of the country might, at least we can use this platform uh, to at least discuss the need for it. And I think both Claudia and Johnny have some great points and why it's important to have this, you know, diversity and being inclusive of all this, uh, of other people uh, that might not be like you. We, we need those diverse ideas. Um, because, you know, what worked in the 50s and the 60s and the 80s, uh, you know, our society has changed and our country, the makeup of our country has changed. And we as a hunting industry, we as an outdoor industry uh, need to change alongside those uh, or we're going to be, you know, left in the dust. So, um, you know, we need to make sure we're doing our part uh, however uh, we need to. Uh, if you want to uh, read the basic gist of what my talk was about from last year, you can check out our blog on conservewild.org. Uh, it's on there. It's one of the featured posts. So if you want to hear what I had to talk about, uh, then um, that would be a good place to start. And then, like I said in the intro, we are going to continue to have this, converse, this kind of conversation throughout the year. So 
Uh, stay tuned for that, for hearing more about it, um, and maybe even having somewhat uncomfortable conversations from here or there, because quite honestly, that's how we grow. So until next week, when we start to talk about the CCC and some ideas of recreating that, I want you to stay wild.